take your Bibles now and open up to Luke 10. I'm going to read about 16, maybe 17 verses, make minimal commentary, and then get right into the teaching. So hopefully you have a Bible in front of you. Here's what it says. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face in every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. And greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. That's worth meditating on right there, verse 5. The message right when you show up there is a message of love, peace, commitment, service, verse 6. And if a son of peace is there, huh, well, your peace will rest on it. It's going to work. And if it not, well, then it will return to you. It's going to work either way. Verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not just go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. That can get very interesting. Verse 9, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to just see verse 9 before we back up and get a running start at it. Jesus gives these guys in this time permission to heal people. He says, when you show up, I want you to heal people. I want you to pray for them. I want you to change the atmosphere wherever you go. I'm giving you permission to be on mission with me. And the way he articulates this is you heal people. Now, if you're like me, you don't have the gift of healing. Okay? You can't just go in and just heal people and just wave a magic wand and heal. But you can pray for people. You can, you can minister to people. You can listen to people. You can serve people. You can actually change the very environment of someone's life by what you offer to them. You can do that. I don't, and I have limitations, so do you. And sometimes your limitations will cause you from doing anything at all because you can't do everything. Well, can, can you do something? Can, can you do a little thing? And I'll tell you what. This is so important for you Christians. This is the same message I've preached for three Sundays in a row. Is that we would all settle in and say, I'm a Christian. I, I'm saved by grace. I'm anointed. I'm the light of the world. God's contracted with me to go into places that he's not going to go unless I go first. And then he's going to come behind me. And here's what he asks me to do. Go pray for people and heal them. What? And here's the idea. You can either be a thermometer. And no matter where you're at, you adjust. Up and down. Up and down. Things are good, you're good. Things are bad, you're bad. Things are right, you're right. Things are wrong, you're, you're a thermometer. You don't have any control over the situation. You can do that. Or you can say, you know what, I'm not a thermometer. I'm a thermostat. Everywhere I go, I'm in charge. I'm taking over. God sent me out, okay? I'm on mission for Jesus. And everywhere you go, you have the permission from God to be in charge of what's happening, how things are going and how things are reacting. And you can be a thermostat and adjust things in the way that God would guide you to adjust them and to lead in the way that God would guide you to lead. I just want to sow that into your mind right now as you get ready for the work week. How are you going to show up? Thermometer? Hope not. Or a thermostat? You who are moms and dads, this is a big deal for you. You who are husbands and wives, this is a big deal for you. You who are men and women, this is a big deal for you. You who have a pulse, this is a big deal for you. Did I cover everyone? I think I covered everyone. <laughs> because if you're just a thermometer, 
You're not going to bring anything to the table. You're not going to see yourself as a game changer, as a servant. I get asked to do a lot of things. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel equipped, qualified, ready, able to do much of any of it. But I've read the Bible. And the Lord says, I want you, I'm calling you, though. I didn't ask if you're ready. I just called you to the front. I called you to step out on the water and to see if it might become firm under your feet. How many of you guys know it's impossible to walk on water? You figured that out? Like, you know, surfers, you tried it. It still doesn't work. It's impossible. You cannot do it. Unless God says to do it. Unless Jesus says, I want to do this. It's impossible to lay hands on somebody who's sick and heal them. It can't be done. Unless God says, I want to heal the sick through your hands being laid upon them. It's impossible to see marriages restored that have been blown up. Unless the Lord says, I want you to be a part of that person's life. To hold them accountable. Hold their hand. Pray for them. Intercede. Intervene. If God asks you and me to go into sick situations, why would he do that? Because he wants to heal. He wants to bless. This changes everything for me because I'm plenty of, a part of plenty of sick situations. That is people whose lives are falling apart or issues that are bigger than me. And the Lord says, don't be overwhelmed. I'm giving you permission to do what needs to be done. Look at verse 9. He says it this way again, same verse that I'm talking about. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's cool. How many of you guys are insecure, don't have a lot to offer, you, just, you, you, don't, have a, you don't have a PhD, you don't have a doctorate, you don't even have a driver's license, whatever your deal is. Did you know that you can go to somebody and minister to them and say, the kingdom of God has been near to you? It's <laughs> pretty bold, you know what I'm saying? Next time you order coffee, look the priest in the eye and say, thank you, the kingdom of God is near to you, you know, like, <laughs> whoa, you know. I suppose it's all a mindset, like how do you view yourself? Are you really an ambassador of the king? Do you really have what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, the fragrance of Christ? You do. You do. I don't always feel like I do. I feel like I got some other fragrance from time to time. Yeah, I got to fix that, you know. And the Lord says, no, no, no. You have the fragrance of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14, you should commit it to memory. And if you do that, you'll go into situations where you're overwhelmed, outgunned, outnumbered, and you'll just stand there. Say, all right, here I am, Lord. Like Daniel, like David, like Moses, like Esther, like the men and women of the Bible. I just think that this is so important. We're going to get there. I'm going to backtrack in just a minute. But I want you to see this because if you tune me out and forget what I said, I want you to be those who know that God has commissioned you to bring the kingdom of God near to people by changing the atmosphere as a thermometer. No, no, thermostat. Verse 10. But whatever city, this is where it gets kind of weird, but whatever city you enter and they don't receive you, huh, well, go out into its streets and say this. The very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Stop right there, eyes up here. Interesting. To the person that gets changed radically, ministered to beautifully, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Be blessed. To the person that rejects you and says, nah, I don't want anything to do with that, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's the same message. It's the same truth. It didn't work for that person, at least not then, not now, not with you. But you can have the freedom in your own heart to say, look, it's still, I've st it's still the truth. And I say that to say this. There are some people, maybe not many, but some, that love to argue with arguers. Okay? You love to find people that don't believe. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that person again. I've got about four hours of free time. Might as well eat it up, banging my head against a wall. You know? I've been that guy. I have sought out belligerent haters of the faith just to debate. 
I don't do that anymore. I don't got time for that. <laughs> I would rather find eager believers of the faith that want to spend four hours going deeper. I've fallen into the trap more than once, spending an hour or two arguing with somebody who's just, they're not getting it. When there are dozens and hundreds of people who would love to spend an hour or two debating the things that they, not debating, talking about the things they actually believe. And let me just say, Jesus says that they're against you. They don't want to deal with it. You know what? Love them, pray for them, give them, give them a little investment, a little energy, but don't feel bad about peacing out. Good luck with that. By the way, the kingdom of God has been near to you, just, just so you know, okay? Deal with it. And Jesus gives them this right to just move on. And there are people who look forward to the door knockers you know, on Saturdays that come to your house, you know, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, that, you know, oh, they're here, you know, and oh, here goes four hours of your life <laughs> with some people that are trained to not receive what you have for them, trained. Okay, even, how can you go into it? I'm not going to go into it. Jesus says, just wipe the dust off and keep going. He does say this, though, verse 12, and this is him talking. This is in his message from us to people. This is his message to the people that say no. Verse 12. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day, and day is capitalized in my Bible, the judgment day, the day of the Lord. It'll be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You guys know Sodom was an Old Testament city of just great immorality and grossness and chaos, and it was judged with the pillars of salt and the fire, and it was judged. And God says this, for the people that reject Jesus, it's going to be like it was just a sunny day in Sodom, okay? It's going to be tough for them. This is a big word. This is important. Because, you see, in Sodom, they didn't have the gospel. They didn't have the kingdom of God near to them. They had Lot and Abraham and some opportunity for salvation, but not like these guys did, not like our cultures do. See, Jesus is now presented. He's, he's available. And when the message is given, it's very clear to see. To reject Jesus right now will bring you more calamity on your soul than is to be imposed upon Sodom. That's what he's saying. Don't reject Jesus now. It's a big mistake. He goes on to give four more verses that I believe should get your attention. He goes on to say, Woe to Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon again, Old Testament cities that had been wiped off the map at that time for their sins. He said, if, if we would have done in Tyre and Sidon what we did in Bethsaida and Chorazin, man, he says this, they these cities right here, those cities then, I should say, would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, which, by the way, just stop right there. We're going to talk about this when we get to the end, maybe. C C Capernaum what was alive and bustling. He's right there, if you would. And he's speaking to Capernaum, saying, Capernaum, you, you totally blew it. It's going to be more judgmental for you than these other cities because you who, verse 15, are exalted to the heavens will be brought down to Hades. Jesus had his base ministry in Capernaum. That's pretty legit. Like, if you lived in Capernaum and missed Jesus while he was working out of his office, like, you blew it. You know what I'm saying? He was at the church every day. As a matter of fact, if you go to Capernaum to this day, I've been there twice. In Capernaum to this day, they have excavated and they have discovered Peter, Peter, Peter the Apostle's mom's house, his mother-in-law's house. And his mom's house is found where Jesus stayed, where Peter stayed, where Jesus healed Peter's mom. And in that house, they've actually constructed a building about the size of this one over that house in order that you can walk over. It's got glass bottoms and you can just kind of look down there and say, that's where Jesus slept. You know, it's right there. But if you look around Capernaum, it's all rubble. Okay, as much as... As it could have been beautiful. Jesus stayed there. I mean, he had a, a tab at the Starbucks there. 
And yet the people, they didn't, they didn't get it. Verse 16, last two verses. He who hears you, he's given them encouragement, hears me. And he who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Last verse, verse 17, we'll start here next week, and just so you know. But it says, then the 70 returned with joy. So they went out. We don't know if they went out for a weekend, if they went out for a couple days. We don't know how long they were gone for, but we do know that when they came back obediently, they came back with joy. And we'll talk about the three levels of joy that God gives to us, service, salvation, and revelation next week. But right now, look at verse 1 in chapter 10 again. This is what it says. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Stop right there, eyes up here. How many of you guys know this one point all the time? Here's this point. Jesus is always doing stuff, okay? He is always doing stuff. Here Jesus appoints 70 others to go in front of him so we could come behind them and do stuff. He's always doing stuff. This is foundational, it's base, it's elementary. You have to tell yourself no matter how you feel or how I am that Jesus is doing stuff because if you're honest with me, you forget. You get distracted, you get tired, you get lethargic, you get disappointed, you get lazy, you get sinful, you get all, you get all weird. Do you get weird? Any weirdos with me this morning? You just become a, like, aren't you supposed to be doing something for Jesus? Well, I was hoping nobody was looking, you know, I don't know, you know. Tell yourself this. It doesn't matter how you woke up or how you slept or if you didn't sleep and then you had to wake up. It doesn't matter how your migraine's feeling or what's going on in your life. And I have plenty of problems in my life. It doesn't matter. Jesus is always doing stuff. He's doing things with or without my help. But here he wants our help. He says, I want your help. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it, Corazon. I don't want you to miss it, miss it. I don't want you to miss it, Capernaum. I don't want you to, for, and sometimes the Lord, the best way, by the way, the Lord gets us involved is just to kind of just throw us in. That's what he's doing here. He says, why don't you just get with the program? Well, I don't think I'm ready yet. Eh. Well, I don't think I'm available yet. Eh. Well, I don't think, eh. and he just, he stops. He grabs these 70, says a little prayer on three. One, two, three, go, and sends them out as lambs amongst wolves. And yet he knows that if he didn't send them out, guess what they would do? Nothing. They would sit on their blessed assurance Waiting for Jesus to do what Jesus is going to do. Now, let's just be honest with you. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many Christians know what it's like to just wait for Jesus to do what he's going to do? I read the Left Behind series. I'm super excited. I got a t-shirt. Haven't done a thing since I read it. Just been waiting. And you're like, what, what are you waiting? As a matter of fact, there is biblical prophecy that says that as the church becomes nearer and nearer to the return of the Lord, as things get closer, right in this context, this verse, 10-1, it's six months before Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world. It's pretty close to go time. What's Jesus doing? Getting people involved. And the Bible says that in the end, right before Jesus returns, okay, or appears for the second time, that there would be a great lethargy, a great apathy, that even in the church, the elect would fall away, that even in the church, the people would say, well, it's been this way the whole time. The Left Behind series, man, that was legit. Back in 2000, I was fired up for like 10 minutes. And then the Bible says, we'll get tired. We stop talking about it. Did you know that there are over 300 prophecies speaking of Jesus in his first coming, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection? 300 saying, this is how it's going to happen. And when Jesus showed up, guess what? They missed it, by and large. They missed it. Born of a virgin, riding on a donkey, A.D., April 6th, A.D., 32. Everything's just perfect. Missed it. Check this out. Did you know that there's 300 verses detailing that day but there are almost 3,000 verses detailing the second return of Jesus. 
talking about what it's going to be like when he returns and that he'll return and that he's coming back. Almost 3,000 prophecies talking about his return, his second return. And yet I wonder how many of you, like me, would just say, yeah, I forget sometimes. I'm more concerned about gas prices, or I'm more concerned about the weather. I'm more concerned about my knee that hurts so bad I can't see straight. i got to stay home. Or I can't. I'm more concerned about the periphery. I get distracted. And that's why I think Jesus here is saying, guys, I want you to get into the game. I'm going to pray for a problem that is the harvesters, not the harvest. Notice what he prays for. He doesn't pray for people. He prays for the workers. Because it's the, the people aren't the problem. And if you're an honest Christian here, you've fallen into the trap from time to time because of the big, bad, crazy world. Man, the secular agenda, the liberal movement, all this is so big and bad. Jesus doesn't pray for any of that. He prays for the workers. I would call you and I would call me the weakest link. Okay, as a matter of fact, people ask me how the church is going. How's the church going, Luke? I say, man, the church is great. Just pray for the weakest link, me. Okay, Pray for me. This is who Jesus prays for, for the people, for the Christians. As a matter of fact, you're probably sitting here this morning or watching online. You're well aware of the chaos and carnality of the world and the dangers of being a Christian. And, man, you're just kind of just hunkering down. Us four, no more, bar the door, you know. Get in your holy huddle, your Bible bubble, you know. And just don't get that world on you, man. There's no sanitizer for that world. you got to be real careful. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I'm going to send you out. Okay? If they don't want you, just walk off and tell them the kingdom of God has been near. If they're sick and dying, heal them. Go out as lambs amongst wolves. Don't, don't forget. And I'm the first to say that I forget. I just, I, I fall asleep. I, I get distracted. The devil wants you to fall asleep, by the way. Okay, it's not just your weak flesh. That's true. You are the weakest link. But the devil himself was on the prowl just to distract you, get you off course, wear you down. We'll talk about wolves in just a minute. There's, we think wolves are going to be obvious, you know. A wolf's going to come up behind you with the red hood on, you know, and big pointy teeth and, you know, whatever that story goes. You know, listen, it's probably way more subtle than that. He says, I'm sending you out, but it's going to be nuts. So I don't want you to get lazy, forgetful. That's why I think we've been in this for three weeks in a row because I, I forget. Sundays are pretty fun for me. I have a good time reading, studying. Oh, man, this is so good. You know, on Monday, I'm like, who am I? You know, who am I? Who are these people in my house? You know, and it's okay. You know, it's like, okay, I'm a Christian. Okay, okay, okay. And you forget. As a matter of fact, yesterday, I went to a basketball game at nine in the morning at the rec center. I saw my daughter. Her team got blown out. It was kind of sad. But anyways, it's fun, you know. And uh, anyways, and then, and then we went home for 45 minutes just to like, you know, whatever, recoup. And then I had another game in Walport and watched my boys, and they had a really good game, and they won. And then we drove back in another 45 minutes at home before I had to go to a baptism that I'd scheduled at 3 p.m. yesterday afternoon. And I'll be honest, on Saturday, I was just, I just want to go to bed. Like, you know, basketball and driving. I just, I could use a nap right now. And man, I, I can't, I got to go. And I wasn't really excited to go baptize somebody. And I just kind of hit pause real quick and said, what in the world is that about? I remember the first person I ever baptized. I remember the rush and the joy and the exhilaration of walking with somebody in their baptism. And so I, I, I could not go to the appointment. I had to go. So I took my kids. I grabbed Noah and I grabbed a cation, jumped in the car and drove down there. I was just praying. And when I got to there, I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit showed up. Okay? And this family showed up. And Elkie's her name. She was there. We might have some pictures showing up in just a minute. Elkie was the only one getting baptized. And her sister's up here from Brazil. And it was just a beautiful day. And Elkie was telling me her testimony. And, and as we walked out to the waters, I was walking out, Elkie just started to open up and share about what God had done in her life. She's been in Newport for 16 years. Only been going to the church for less than a year, though. 
And as she came to the church here, she started hearing about the love of God and the forgiveness of God, that God's not mad at her, that God has a plan for her, that God can heal her and, and, do, and put her life together. And I was listening to her testimony about the church she's going to. This one, I was like, that church sounds awesome. I'm like, I want to go there, you know? That sounds like a cool church. And she just knew that baptism was the next right thing for her to do. And I'll tell you, I was so blessed to get in that water. And where before I was lethargic and kind of lukewarm, now I was super cold because it was 51 degrees, you know, in the, in the, in the water. And, and I put her under and brought her back up and it was just so fresh and I went home after that event and, and I'm, here's, here's how it, I, I processed it as I got home I found myself just kind of with this dumb look on my face you know just kind of staring at a wall but there, my frown had turned upside down and I was just smiling I was like that was so fun that was so rich that was so fresh thank you Lord for letting me be a part of that such a special unique personal part of her journey with her sister being here and some other people watching and the Lord says to you and to me I don't want you to fall asleep I don't want you to miss it. You're going to miss it. This is what happens to you. It's the natural law of, second law of thermodynamics or whatever it is, that everything's going from order to disorder. We're naturally just not getting better, okay? We need to apply ourselves to get better and to be part of what God wants us to do. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves falling asleep, disengaging, and ultimately becoming null and void, and worst case scenario, being picked off by the wolves. And so Jesus says, you know what the, you know what the problem is? It's not the people out there. It's the people who have been given the gift. They're the ones that I'm praying for. Matter of fact, John 17. Maybe, I'm pretty sure it's the longest prayer in the Bible. It's the longest prayer in the New Testament for sure. And it's just hours before Jesus dies. And Jesus prays for his boys. So Lord, would you help these guys? I've been with them for three years. Pretty sure they didn't learn anything. And I'm about to die. <laughs> and if they don't do things right, they're going to die. And His main prayer, though, is for unity and for commitment. And just this engagement. He pray, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't pray for the world. He prays for the, the group, the servants. This is why it's so important for me to labor long in these points and see the context here. Right before he dies, and I wonder if the Lord hasn't given you and I, I'm, I'm actually going to say this, I know he has. The Lord has given to the church right now okay, a unique window of opportunity where we can engage the culture, where we can engage academia, we can engage the liberal arts. We can, there's still a freedom afforded to us right now with the governmental system. Right now, we still have the freedom to let our light so shine, to be Christians, to be free, to bring your Bibles to school or to work in the, uh, accordance with the rules that they have. But we can still let our light so shine before men as of now. It'd be easy for us to just get lazy though, wouldn't it? I come to church, man. It's so fun. Luke's so fired up. He's out there baptizing people. You know, and watch what's happening. Chet and Jan Novak, that is so cool, man. I'm going to Nigeria, that's so cool, you know. What are you doing? Well, I can't do anything. Why not? Well, I'm just, I'm not educated. I don't have anything. Jesus in verse 4 says, when you go, don't take a money bag, don't take a knapsack, don't bring extra shoes, just go. Just get in the water. I'll do stuff for you. I'll use you. I don't have a, I don't know, I've never read the Old Testament. Well, don't talk about the Old Testament then. You know, <laughs> you know, all these excuses you and I have, and I've had the excuses. Don't, and Jesus says, no, 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 don't, don't let that stop you. You go, because it's not the people I'm worried about. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, it says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's pretty easy. But then Paul brings up a thought, Romans chapter 10. Paul says, well, how, how should they call on the Lord, though, unless they're told? And how shall they be told unless they're sent? And how shall they be sent? And, and he gives this whole thing. It's so easy to call on the Lord is what he's saying, but no one's going to do it because nobody's telling him to do it. 
You and I bog down. I don't think that person wants to be saved. I don't think they want to be changed. I'm a thermostat. I change. I'm in, I'm in charge here, but I just don't think they want to adjust. Really? Really? What if you decided this week to experiment with some love, some purpose, intentionality? What if you started by asking people questions and respected them with their answers? Hey, what do you, where do you go to church on Sunday? <laughs> I go to church. Kidding me, bro. Oh, cool. What, what, why not? You know, have you ever gone to church? You know, I'm just, just, I'm just being, I'm, I want to know what you believe. Well, what do you think about Jesus, man? You know, and just ask them and let them kind of answer. What if you decided to experiment and then you, what if you discovered on accident that God was doing something in their lives before you even got there? And all of a sudden you were just the person coming along, adding that next dose of water. Years and years ago, I was invited to go on this lower rogue rafting trip. And it was a real small group of people that were allowed there per year. There's a lottery and not everyone goes. And to be in, on this trip was a real benefit for, to me. And I was with about 16 other people. And there were three other Christians and myself and all other secular people. And so we thought ourselves as like the Christians on this trip. And we were there on the rogue river at night looking at the stars. And there was bears in the water. It was a real cool trip. But I remember having a campfire experience with this one guy who's not a believer named Chris. And so Chris asked us a question, me and my two other friends, Jesse and Katie Banks, Christians. He said, why are you guys Christians? So we shared our testimony. Here's, here's why I'm a Christian. Here's, and, then, and then I asked him this question, why aren't you a Christian? You want to know what Chris said? Blew my mind. Why aren't you a Christian, Chris? You know what he said? No one ever asked me to be one. I said, what? That's the dumbest answer I've ever heard. And I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I thought, that's the dumbest answer I've ever heard. That's why you're not a Christian? Because nobody ever asked you to be one? I was under the impression, the working impression, false conclusion, the working conclusion that he had read all the books I'd read, gone to all the camps, been to all the services, and came to a different conclusion than I had. They had all the same information, and he just decided, I don't want to be a Christian, leave me alone. I just believed that about him, because that's what I think about all non-believers. When in reality, he said, yeah, I would go if someone would just invite me. Nobody's ever invited me. He wasn't crying about it. But the impetus the responsibility back in my court back in your court why is the world so crazy maybe because they don't know the love of god they don't they haven't experienced the thermometers or thermostats i should say the people coming into their lives gonna change them another story i remember doing some premarital counseling for a couple that i was about to perform their wedding and i used to uh, lead these couples through six or seven sessions and on the second session i was still talking about jesus and i knew this guy was far from the lord and i didn't want them to get married to each other unless they were connected to god first and so for the first two or three sessions i would really belabor the gospel and i remember in session two i'm still just talking about jesus and just trying to see if this guy's getting it and he begins to cry kind of just like tear up and i just kind of i didn't i honestly didn't know what was happening so i just kept talking and kind of got through the my spiel and we ended and prayed the next week we came back week three and i was like so how'd it go last week he's like dude i got saved last week like right there while you were talking like you missed it but i was getting <laughs> saved i missed it. i feel so embarrassed i was like how did i miss that you know so the the lord he has chosen to co-op with you and need you and use you okay but it's not up to you he, he wants you to be faithful with the seeds and put it in and watch miracles happen and to throw some water on dirt and see life come out of it god will do the miracles but he won't perform them without you he'll heal people he'll change lives but he's asking you and i to step in and not go 
lazy and get weird and forget what God wants us to do. And sometimes he just, like it looks here in verse 2, look at verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then in verse 3, he says, now go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Jesus, you're identifying the problem. We need more laborers. Okay, okay, what should we do? Let's pray for laborers. Lord, give us more laborers. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Jesus gives him that attaboy pat on the butt and kicks him into gear. Get out there and go as lambs amongst wolves. I need to just talk about verse 3. It's a very small verse. Behold, I send you as lambs amongst wolves. Number one, lambs, okay? Lambs are pretty meek and mild. As a matter of fact, if I pulled a lamb from behind my back and just said, lamb, <laughs> everybody here would be like, oh, you know, nobody would be offended. Like, I can't believe you just showed me a lamb, you know. You guys would be, you'd be, oh, you know, go viral, you know. We love lambs. They're cute. So, too, Jesus says, when you go out, I want you to go out in the countenance of Christ. I want you to go humble. Okay, you don't need to be belligerent and dogmatic. I've been that Christian before. Okay, I've been better than others, and I've been looking down my nose at him. I've been looking for a fight. And Jesus says, no, no, a lamb doesn't do that. A lamb goes out to serve, to bless, to bring humility and meekness. And when you go out as a lamb, amongst wolves, we'll talk about that. Go out, you. I dare you this week to go order your coffee or buy your groceries or work with your coworkers with the countenance of Christ. Okay? Oh, but they're going to walk all over me. They did Christ too. They're going to push me around. Okay, deal with it. Go out as a lamb amongst wolves. Not just the countenance of Christ, but the confidence in Christ. Okay, lambs don't have nothing going for them except their shepherd. And that's all they need. The shepherd will take care of that lamb. And if you trust the shepherd, I'm just a lamb. I don't got much. I got a shepherd, though. And he's got a big rod and a big staff, and they comfort me day and night. And surely mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, Psalm 23. I can eat. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. I'm a lamb. This is so fun. If you just wake up tomorrow and just feeling this lamb, I'm just going to be meek and mild. Don't be Lambo, okay? Don't go out crazy, you know? Like, you know? And if it were me writing this, I'd be like, I'm setting out as rams amongst wolves. This is going to be National Geographic, man. It's going to be a throwdown. Like, he says, no, it's a lamb. It's like a baby sheep. It's really, really, it's really just kind of worthless. And I want you to go out and love people. I want you to have the countenance of Christ and the confidence in Christ. But he also warns us. He says, this is going to get, it's going to get gnarly. Lambs amongst wolves. How many of you guys know that lambs and wolves aren't best friends? Okay, they're not just hanging out. You know, the, the, the wolf's fine with it. He's like, oh, I like you a lot. You know, like, come on over here. You know, listen, he, he says, this is going to be nuts. There's going to be a fight involved. And I think for all of us here, it's very important that we remember that we're in a fight, that we're in a battle, because if you don't remember you're in a fight or in a battle, guess what? You're going to lose. Period. And, and I, I love peace, and I love, you know, I love love, and I love all that. But if I don't realize that I'm in a battle, that there's a, a wolf attack coming, if I don't remember that, ch chances are I'm just going to get caught not ready for what's happening in my life. Uh, the other day I was watching the BBC Planet Earth documentary. We own the DVDs at our home, and so we were watching that with the kiddos, and they showed this aerial footage of these wolves that had been stalking these gazelles for many days. And they were learning about these wolves, that these wolves, instead of just attacking, they just studied. They just watched for days, watching what's going on, these gazelles at this watering trough. And once they figured out their plan, these wolves, after studying, they would begin to hunt. And once they began to hunt, they would begin the pursuit. And once they began the pursuit, they would wear down this pack. And then they would identify the weak one, and then they would separate this weak one after being worn down and studied and pursued and hunted. And pretty soon it was a bunch of wolves against one lone gazelle. 
And you guys know what happens next. The kids turn their eyes away and don't finish the video. Like, oh, Dad, I can't believe this. And I'm like, oh, toughen up, kids. Oh, you know, watching this, this gazelle, you know. Here's the deal, though. I was thinking that through. The, the, the devil does the same thing with you and I. He studies you. He watches you. He knows what's going on in your life. He sees your weaknesses, your high points, your low points. He sees very patient. The devil's been around a long time. Okay, you need to give him that much respect. Okay? You need to respect your opponent in that way. You're, you're being watched and studied. And then the attack and the pursuit will come in your life, and the devil will seek to wear you out. Just wear you down. Just get you off course, get you low, get you slow, get you to the back of the pack. And all of a sudden, you're like, why am I in the back of the pack? I'm the closest to the wolf I've ever been. And you're, you're lingering low. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're a lone soldier, and the wolf has you exactly where he wants you to be. Now, this happens in moral attacks on our lives where the devil just begins to study our life. Oh, I can see where I can get this inroad here morally. This is a compromise I can implement after I just wear him down a little bit and just bring him over here. And moral compromise, there's moral attacks. There's also doctrinal attacks. Some of you have been in the faith long enough, you've seen this, where you believe what the Bible teaches, but then you get to the back of the pack and somebody will slip in something, some wolf will attack you with some new age theology or this idea over here and think, I've never thought about it that way. And all of a sudden, you're wolf meat. Not just doctrinal and theological, but even relational. There's ways that the, the devil wants to blow you up and get you out of source. And I say all that because of this. Not even to say this. I say that because of this. Okay, being a pastor, I see wolf attacks all year long. I'm, I'm privy to a front row show. And it, and it breaks my heart. I see men and women taken out by the devil. In whatever way he, he sees, he's, very, he's, he's got a variety of tools. And if you're sitting here today and you're under attack, I want you to be of good courage. You have a shepherd. He loves you. Okay, draw near to the shepherd. You run to the shepherd, that wolf, he, he'll, he'll bounce out. But I also plead to you who don't know you're under attack because you're a sitting duck. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. Be advised careful. Be vigilant. Don't grow weary. Don't get to the back of the, You do not want to be in the back of the pack. You're the first to go. And I've seen more bloodshed in my ministry than I wish I would. I even just, even in the last hours, getting texts from people that are under severe attack and don't even know it. Blood just all over the place. And I want you who are fellow lambs to stick together okay we need each other you see somebody out to lunch getting picked on and picked off okay they we're better together i get mad at people sometimes when their lives fall apart just what are you doing anybody ever been mad at somebody else (laughs) what are you doing last night i was so mad making dinner my kids like why are you so mad just reading these texts i'm so mad right now i just had to and the lord just said i want you to pray for those people if you have a people or, or a group of people in your mind from time to time, you ever think about other people? You guys ever do that too? Do that? I think about people. Sometimes it pops in my mind. I think about you guys. And the Lord reminded me yesterday, he's like, stop thinking about that person and pray for him. I was like, I don't really want to pray for him right now. <laughs> the Lord said, you need to pray for him. It was easier to pray for him this morning after I calmed down a little bit. <laughs> the Lord says, pray, pray for your enemies. Pray for people that, that are getting under your skin. Pray for people. They need your prayer to be delivered. And as you go to battle for people that are getting taken out, it's a, it's a war. 
I say that to you because I know you're like me. You just forget. You just want it to be. I want it to be clean. I don't want there to be any, any, any blood on the walls. I don't want marriages to fail. I don't want my brothers to fall into moral compromise or sisters as well. I don't want people to read funky doctrines out of funky books and find funky things. I don't want that to happen, but it does. And sometimes we just forget. We need to be alerted. Kind of like that alert that happened in Hawaii yesterday. Did you guys hear about that? And who was in Hawaii yesterday? Anybody here in, in Hawaii yesterday? Nobody? Nobody. I'll tell you what happened. I wasn't there either. You guys, you guys heard this, right, in Hawaii? All of the citizens of Hawaii received a text message about 8 in the morning saying that an imminent ballistic nuclear missile is on the way to the islands of Hawaii right now and to put plastic over your windows and stay inside. This is not a drill. <laughs> it's like, ah! And it was, a, it was a total mistake. Somebody accidentally pushed the wrong button and alerted the whole community. And for the next 40 minutes, 40 minutes it took for the follow-up text to be all, my bad. You know, with the, with the gif of Homer Simpson, you know, it's like none of that happened. But it was true. The 40 minutes, these people lived in sheer panic until finally somebody said, oh, we shouldn't. No, no, mm, wrong, wrong button, you know. <laughs> Let me just tell you something, though. It's crazy on, on many levels. <laughs> many levels. Someone lost their job yesterday, maybe a couple of people. Let me tell you something, though. All the rest of that day in Hawaii, I guarantee you there wasn't one person that didn't make eye contact with one other person without the same sinking thought. Are you for, you, that was crazy. That was crazy. Was that, people you don't even know, that was crazy. That was crazy. That was, everyone bonded at a different level yesterday in Hawaii at least because they almost died, all of them. And they realized there's a, there's a war going on. Even though it was false yesterday, they got, even today, I bet they woke up Still realizing that, and the reason why, and I process this with my wife just thinking this through, the reason why it made m the most sense in Hawaii is because of its proximity to North Korea and other, it would make the most sense that this actually be legit. So too in our lives, we, we just forget. He doesn't want us to. He doesn't want us to. Stay engaged. Physical battles. As a matter of fact, in this day, in Jesus' day, not so much here where we're at, other countries, yes. This would, this would escalate. You're going out amongst wolves. You're not going to be appreciated. You're going to be hated. Okay, this will be seen in social outcasting. This could be seen in, in business and financial losses. This could be seen in persecutions. Certain countries, this could be all the way escalated to martyrdom. You just, you're, you're a lamb. Okay, it's just the way Jesus was a lamb. He's not going to send you out to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. This could go very badly. I remember when Eddie Townsend, <laughs> a very good friend of mine, uh, got saved years ago, maybe 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And uh, he was upstairs teaching the, the classroom with my boys uh, today. You could pray for my boys now since he just taught them. Anyways, um, and uh, Eddie Townsend, when he got saved, man, he was fired up, and he would tell anybody and everybody about Jesus. He just couldn't be stopped. We lived in southern Oregon. You know, he's a football player down there. And one time he called me on the bus. He was on the way back from Medford to Ashland. He's like, Luke, you got to come help me. Dude. I'm casting demons out of this dude. And I was like, bro, you're on your own. <laughs> I'll pray for you, man, you know, and I hung up, and he called again. I was like, what the heck, dude? And he's like, dude, you got to help me. I'm praying, casting demons out of this guy, and I was at home. I lived across the street from the church. I was having lunch with my family. I was like, where are you at, dude? Where are you at? And he's like, look out your window. I'm like, you know, I look out my window, and there's Eddie waving across the street and across the field, and he's waving on his phone, and then he looks at this place I couldn't see this guy, and he takes off running out of my vision, and a two-by-four comes flying through the, the, the field after Eddie, and this guy was chasing him, and I told my, told my wife, I was like, well, honey, I got to go pray for us. I'm going to go help Eddie not get killed. Man, this guy did not want to get saved. He did not. 
And I don't know if Eddie was doing it right necessarily, but <laughs> we prayed from a distance for that guy. <laughs> oh, Eddie, I love that guy. Anyways, verse three, go your way as lambs. Look at verse four. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hustle through. Take some notes, though, and consider if you're listening. How, how are you going to be a thermostat? What's your hindrance? Look at verse four. He says, carry neither money bag nor knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road. In other words, he's, he's saying, hey, you ready? Well, I got to, no, you don't need nothing. Well, I needed my knapsack, don't I? Nope. Uh, how about a money bag? No. Uh, extra shoes? Not this time. In other words, you want me to go right now? Right now. Now, each and every one of us have a thousand excuses why we're not going to share the gospel with somebody tomorrow. Well, I'm not, not quite ready yet. I don't know. They're going to ask me that one question. I don't know the answer. I got to finish my PhD. I got to read Ezra first. I got to memorize, you know, Romans 10. I got I to get some. No, you go. I'll give you what you need. Did you know that they would need shoes? They would need knapsacks. They would need money. They need all the stuff he said not to take. God would provide it for them. What are you waiting for right now to do something right for Jesus? Oh, I got to get a good night's sleep. That's all I need. I've never, I've never had one. So that, you know. No, just go. Share. What if you go into Starbucks tomorrow or Fred Myers or your home and just say, hey, can we, I just pray for you? Can I just, hey, hey how, get, get your coffee. Hey, how can I pray for you today? Is there any way? I remember one time I did that to a, is she here? I don't think she, I did, I remember I did that to someone. And I, I, I said, how can I pray for you today? And this person with spite in their eyes said, you can pray for yourself. I was like, whoa, crazy. See ya, you know. I had no idea what this person was going through, what's going on in their life. I remember, I was like, wow, well, you know, ouch. And I don't even know what happened next, but it wasn't long before that person began to fellowship here at the church, before that, that person, praise the Lord. And I was like, oh, I didn't really do that well, you know. And yet God's always doing something behind the scenes. What if you just, what are you waiting for? Well, I got to get stuff figured out. No, you don't. Don't take anything. Don't worry about nothing. God's going to provide for you. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel walked through the wilderness for 40 years, Deuteronomy 29.5 says, remember when you were in the wilderness for 40 years? Did you ever have to buy a new pair of Nikes? Did you ever have to get a new pair of shoes? And their answer was no. I was like, yeah, I, I, it was a miracle. I sustained it. You don't need all this extra stuff. Somebody in here right now doesn't have enough intellect, doesn't have enough energy. Your past is too messed up. There's too much going against you. You can't be faithful to your crew, to your wife, to your kids, to your neighbor. You can't do it because you don't have enough. And the Lord says, no, that's not how it works. I'm going to send you out as lambs amongst wolves, and I want you to get with the program. He says it, verse 5, here's your message. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. That's so cool. Back to the whole countenance of Christ. What's your message, Christian? Turn or burn, bro. You know, no, 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 no. We can, you know, that's like, that's the next level. We're not there yet. Peace. I'm giving you peace. Peace. It's a message of peace. It's a good news. Here's the deal. When you're born, you don't have peace with God. You're broken. You're, you're an enemy of the Lord. And then by action, we prove it. We all are sinners by nature, and then we're all sinners by participation, each and every one of us. Okay? It's, it's, it's just the way it is. And there is no peace between you and God. He's not pleased with your life. But when you give your life to Jesus, it's a free gift. When you accept Jesus over your mistakes, God says, ooh, I have peace with you now. There's now peace between this house. This is the message that we have to give to people. And I've talked to people before, say, la, 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 keep it to yourself. I have peace with God. And I always ask him, you have peace with God? That's cool. Does God have peace with you? Because you can have as much peace with God as you want. That's fine. That's easy peasy. Okay? They've got stuff you can take to have peace with God. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. But does God have peace with you? Does God look at you and say, that's, that's my bro. That's my gal right there. 
That's through Jesus Christ. That's the message. Look at verse 6. He says, if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. It's going to work no matter way, uh, no matter which way for you. In verse 7, and remain in that same house. I have that word remain circled. Okay, stay faithful, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. This is a good word for you who are um, ministering to people in a life group or you have relationships built. Just stay. Work. Stay there and receive what you get and give what you have. And verse 8 says, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are before you. Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets. Say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And then the other four verses that I already read to you, he gives this judgment to those cities that had the very gospel given to them, bred and born in their midst. Let me just say this. There is a great harvest. There will be a great judgment. I believe that the harvest will be greater than the judgment, though. Okay, I, I really believe that there are more people going to be saved in the long run than will be judged. I could be wrong, but I like to believe this is good news. God's saving people. God's not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. He can't just turn a blind eye to immorality and chaos and a God-rejecting sinful world. There must be judgment. Every one of us would agree. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God says, hey, not today. Today, though, go, send peace, go seek, serve, stay, commit as lambs, less than, meek, mild, humble, loving, serving, thermostats, changing, commanding, directing. Do all that right now because there will be a day. That's God's, this is now God's payroll. This is God's job, not ours, to judge the world. And he will do that. He will hold the world accountable. There will be a day where that alert goes out and it will be real. Today, though, we get the opportunity to redeem these days and love each other and to bless each other and serve each other. This changes everything for me. I, I love life. You guys know that. You guys love life, too, I hope. You're doing, you're living life. Okay, you don't need to change anything about what you're doing, but possibly you could change quite a bit about how you're doing it. Just the way you pay your bills, the way you order stuff online, the way you talk, the way you just think, taking those thoughts captive. And you say, Lord, would you make me more into what you're into and on mission with you? A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were on Netflix, and she said she wanted to watch The, the Case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote a book many, many years ago. I've read it. You've all read it. The Case for Christ. It has a whole series, Case for Faith, Case, you know, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, all these books that are like-minded. But on Netflix, they have a really good movie. If you have Netflix or you know someone's account, that's fine, too. <laughs> the Case for Christ. Done real well. And it's this book about an atheistic thinker. True story. Whose wife becomes a believer through some series of events. And he's, he's mad about it. He's not happy. He's like, what the heck are you doing? Becoming a believer. This is horrible. And so he takes every ounce of energy that he has to debunk and to derail this Christianity. While he's doing that the whole time, he's a wolf. While he's doing that, his wife is praying for him. Modeling grace and kindness, commitment and love, praying for him, love, and, and the Lord is working. Now, I don't want to give you the rest of the story. You can probably guess how it ends, but my wife and I were both crying, <laughs> you know, at the end, the movie. Now, I just encourage you who are believers here, who maybe you just forgot that you're in a battle. You forgot you're supposed to be doing stuff. You forgot that Jesus is doing things. 
You're just going through it, just trying to pay my mortgage down, get my dentist bill paid off, just trying to wait for summertime, just trying to, you know, stack those pods. I'm just trying to do stuff. Cool. Me too. But guess what? The Lord's return is near, and he wants us to be ready. It's sure. This is six months before he died. They didn't know what was happening. Like, what are we doing? We're doing stuff. What are we doing stuff for? Is this this important? Is there an urgency to it? Is Is this something we should be serious about? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. And so I'm excited about what the Lord is doing here in Newport and people getting baptized, things happening. But God's going to do through your life and through my life whatever he wants to do. I'm going to have the worship team come up and close this in a song. And now we're going to take communion. And you get the opportunity to repent to the Lord and to tell him that you're all in for the things of God. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you just came in and heard a sermon or you don't know what you're doing here. You jumped on the bus from Job Corps. You're here. You're just whatever the case is. Listen. (laughs) Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And then when they buried his body, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. And has commanded the church of God now to in likeness of nature to minister to those who don't yet know him and to make the gospel present. That's why you're here today. That's why you you should. I don't know why I'm here. I, I got invited to church. No, no. You got invited to something much bigger than church. The Lord wants to take from you your sins. And give to you his righteousness, that you would be pleasing to his Father, that you would have peace, peace in your hearts. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes as we ask God for that peace that comes only through knowing Jesus. Father, we thank you for communion, for the opportunity to respond now, to remind ourselves, Lord, that your death, burial, and your resurrection is enough for our sins, Lord, for our sanctification, for our salvation, Lord, that you're enough, and that we, Lord, can rejoice in you, and if there's somebody here, maybe a believer, that's just, man, they're at the back of the pack, they're getting just swept on by wolves, Lord, I pray you'd kill some wolves today, just weaken them right now, deliver your lambs, in Jesus' name, if there be moral compromise here, or relational failure, or maybe even verbal or physical abuse for your faith. Lord, I pray for protection for these lambs and strength that they would re-engage, Lord, with what you have for them. And if there's somebody here that's not engaged at all, they're not a lamb, they're just walking around. I pray that they would say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part, I want to get in the water. And if you're here today and you, you, you need to engage with the Lord, you need to give your life to him to be saved or you need to give your life to him to serve, whatever the case is, would you just raise your hand right now? If you just need more of the Lord, you want to just, you, you haven't given him enough yet, you just say, just raise your hand. Just a simple way of saying, yeah, Lord, I, I, want, I want you to have more access to my heart. Put your hand up. Lord, I want you to have more access to my mind. Put your hand up. Lord, I want you to have more access to my life. Put your hand up. Lord, take over, please. Forgive me. Forgive me for being weak and lazy reading left behind series and then just shutting down forgive me help me to be engaged you can put your hands down father i pray a blessing on us as we turn the lights down low and prepare to take communion as we come lord to the table and rejoice in who you are and what you've done we do so lord proclaiming your death until you return we thank you lord in advance for what's to come next do a mighty work we pray in jesus name amen